Greetings, dear podcast listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the pastor here at Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. We're so delighted that you're listening to this is our sermon from Sunday, May 21st. Uh, and we it's actually the final Sunday in the Eastertide season. Um, and in Christian calendar, Easter is not just a day, but a whole season. And so we've been moving through the Easter season together. And next week, we'll hit Pentecost, which is one of the high holy days in the Christian calendar as well. But this week, we were delighted to welcome the Reverend Mandy England Cole to uh, to our pulpit to offer us words of um, uh, encouragement and wisdom and challenge alike. Mandy is the former pastor of Ginter Park Baptist Church which she will um, certainly allude to in her sermon. And she's currently serving as the program associate for the Bridge for Early Career Preachers Grant uh, through Union Union Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond. And Mandy is a dear friend. Uh, we we our offices used to be down the hall from each other uh, in a, in our past life, and we would share baking recipes and um, have lots of great conversations. So it was such a delight to welcome her once again. This is um, not her first time joining us, and it's always a gift to have her um, in our church and in our con- and in our pulpit. So thank you, Mandy, so much for uh, joining us yesterday. Um, Listeners, you're in for a delight. This is such a wonderful sermon and a word of encouragement to us as a community of faith as we continue to move forward and live into who God is calling us to be. The um, sermon text is based on Romans 5, verses 1 through 11, and the sermon title is called Suffering Together. Hope it's helpful for you in your spiritual journey. As always, feel free to reach out to me if you have any um, prayer concerns or just want to connect pastor at williamsburgbaptist.com. You can also find us on the web at williamsburgbaptist.com and on Instagram and Facebook. That's enough for me from, from me for now. God bless. It always feels like being at home when I am gifted to worship with you. Thank you for having me back with you today again and for welcoming me to your pulpit so graciously and lovingly. Friends, we don't have to look very hard in our world to find suffering. Pay attention to the news of the day, and there it is, suffering. Pay attention to the people around us, and there it is. Suffering. Perhaps even when we look within ourselves to the pain that we experience in our own lives, there it is. Suffering. Suffering seems an escapable part of being human, or as Albus Dumbledore wisely said, to suffer is as human as is to breathe. Almost half of the human beings alive today, over three billion of us on this planet, live on less than $2.50 a day. Under half the world's population have electricity. 2.3 billion of us don't have have access to adequate sanitation. More than 750 million of us don't have access to clean water. 
There are an estimated 1 to 200 million girls under the age of 18 that suffer some sort of sexual violence every year. Just in the U.S., one of six women have been victim of an attempted or completed rape. Tens of millions of people around the world are slaves of one kind of another, owned by people and sold like cattle to the highest bidder. In America, over 2 million men and women, an overwhelmingly and statistically absurd ratio of which are people of color, are locked in cages like animals. We call the cages prisons. We have record numbers of people making harrowing journeys to reach our southern border in hope of finding refuge from the devastation of climate change and violence and suffering in their own homelands. Our nation's suicide rates keep rising with one death every 11 minutes. The rates are even higher for indigenous populations, veterans, and young people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Listing out the causes of our pain and our suffering could go on and on and on. Sickness, broken relationships, systems of oppression, addiction, misogyny, sexism, racism, all the isms. It doesn't stop. In a second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul describes his own experience of suffering, saying that he had been beaten more than once, and that once he was even stoned. That on his travelers, on his travels, he once spent a night and a day adrift at sea, that he was shipwrecked three times, and often found himself in danger from the elements, in danger from robbers, in danger from his own people and from those who opposed him. He spent many a sleepless night, suffering either from hunger and thirst, from cold and exposure, or from the daily pressures and anxieties of his church. Paul was no stranger to suffering. And I think that he may have been preaching the word he needed to hear his very self in our scripture today. Preachers sometimes do that. Suffering is all around us. A Texan named Steph shared her story on an episode of the most recent season of the Netflix show Queer Eye. If you aren't familiar, Queer Eye is a makeover show. Five queer humans, the Fab Five, show up in the lives of someone who has been nominated and they give them a multifaceted makeover. There's a new wardrobe. There's a new haircut. There's an updated living space. They are taught how to make a new dish or a new meal. And they spend time with a life coach as well. What I deeply appreciate about this show is that the Fav Five are unapologetically positive and loving. And they are unafraid to really see and to enter into the painful pieces of the lives of the people they show up to help. They get to the heart of the matter. It's a makeover show, yes. But 
It's a life-changing, soul-tending, love-explosion kind of a makeover show. Steph was nominated by her longtime girlfriend, Ray, who had noticed a change in Steph over the last few years and wanted to help her reclaim her confidence and joy. From the outside, Steph looked like she was doing just fine. She was part of a loving and supportive family. She was in a committed and caring romantic partnership, and she was an absolute superfan, known around town for her enthusiastic support of the local sports teams. But on the inside, she wasn't fine. You see, a few years earlier, Steph and Ray had been out in town having dinner at a local bar. It was crowded that night, and there weren't many seats for the hordes of people that were waiting for a spot. Steph noticed a mother and daughter waiting for a seat, and being the kind human that she is, she got up and she gave them her seat. As they sat down and she turned to walk away, she overheard them saying to one another all kinds of hateful, homophobic things. It wasn't the first time she had heard such things. It wasn't the last time she would ever hear such hateful things. But in this particular moment, something shifted internally for her. It was as if all of a lifetime's worth of hateful comments had met their limit for her dismissal, and they came revisiting her in a flood. She internalized those hateful words, and boy, did they set up home within her. They took up residence, and soon her internal voice was repeating them to herself. She started living in this hyper-aware state where she was always concerned, first and foremost, about not bothering anyone. She stopped holding Ray's hand in public. She started dressing in a way that would help her disappear into the background and not gather any attention. She wouldn't even put up pictures of she and Ray around her home for worry that visitors would be uncomfortable. She was lost in a desert wasteland of shame and self-loathing. I wish Steph's story was unique, but unfortunately it's far too common. Too many people are struggling to love themselves, many struggling to love themselves because they are believing the hateful and untrue messages of others, the messages that say they aren't worthy. When I began serving Ginner Park Baptist Church, they had just, within just several weeks, been kicked out of the State Baptist Association. The church had chosen to ordain Scott, a gifted and called human, who is gay. Well, the state acted quickly. They wasted no time severing ties with our church. And then I arrived. I arrived just weeks before the Richmond Association would gather to determine what they were going to do with us. 
Those were interesting days. I don't recommend new pastors arriving in such days as this, but they were ripe. They were ripe with meaning that would last the rest of my time with Skinner Park. Part of that experience of that time is that I was invited into conversation with some of the most vocal leaders who vehemently disagreed with the church's action and wanted to kick us out of fellowship. I say I was invited into conversation, but really it was more like I was summoned to their offices. Time and again, both the church and myself personally were rebuked, scolded, and shamed. It was terrible. And those were the things that people were saying to our faces. The letters and the online commentary were even more nasty, as you can likely imagine. I remember reading a blog post by one of the pastors whose offices I had visited. And as I read the comments of his uh, blog post, I recognized a name. It was my next-door neighbor. The friendly man who always stopped and spoke to me and my children across the gate that separated our driveways, that man who was always quick to chat and with my talkative kids and to share the tennis balls he had from his tennis bag on his way home from a game, that man, his online comment was personally directed toward me, an attack against the church's wicked woman pastor. It was an ugly and hurtful time. I still find myself guarded when I meet new ministry colleagues or Baptists around town. And from time to time, I hear their voices in my mind, tempting me to believe the things that they said about me, the things they said about my people. I remember Nancy, a lifetime Ginner Park Baptist Church member, then in her 80s. She'd run into an old friend at the grocery store. They hugged one another and they caught up about life. When her friend suddenly said to her, Nancy, what in the world is going on with your church? It's all anybody at my church can talk about. Nancy wasn't sure how to respond as it became clearer and clearer to her that her friend and her friend's church were judging Nancy and her beloved church. And she told me about this encounter. As she told me about this encounter, her face and her voice were full of emotion. She was carrying some shame for her church. Not because of the ordination decision or the church's wide welcome of the LGBTQ community, but because of the judgment of her old friend. I tell you these stories because I suspect you may have experienced similar things here. Because when you stand with any people who are suffering, as the LGBTQ community is, you suffer together. The arrows of violence that befall them will fall on you. But it is in this suffering together that we endure together. 
which means you will need to guard your hearts and your minds from the vitriol too. You will need to pour love into one another. You will need to hear a good word to read and to reread sentiments of support and to hear true words of your belovedness like a drumbeat carrying the rhythm of your continued holy work of faithfully following God in this world. Suffering is all around us, but so is hope. Hope is all around us, and hope, as Paul reminds us, well, hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts, poured into our hearts. It was beautiful to watch the transformation in Steph from her time with the Fab Five of Queer Eye. As each of the five had time with her, it was as if they looked into her eyes to tell me about where it hurts. Listen to her saying, honey, that is hard. And then wrapping her in their big mothering God arms, and then pouring truth-telling words of love into her. You are worthy. You are beautiful. You are worthy of love. Just as you are right this minute, you deserve love. You are beloved. And little by little, you could see it in Steph's eyes. She started to believe it was true. They poured love into Steph and it saved her. She went from being nearly alive to abundant life. If that isn't gospel, I don't know what is. Friends, if you are struggling with self-love and are suffering from internalizing the harmful messages of the world, then I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. I want you to lean in and to open your hearts and listen. You are worthy of God's love. You are beautiful. Just the way you are right this minute. You deserve love. You are beloved. With love and support, Steph shared her pain and her suffering and she began to heal. There were a lot of tears, mine included. Everybody was crying, tears of sadness, tears of release, tears of hope. And then they wiped their tears, and they did the most radical thing. They had a party. They laughed, and they danced, and joy burst out among them like a love tsunami. A party, not unlike a picnic in the face of a bomb threat. 
along with those strained visits with other local pastors and the work of bolstering up members of my bruised church, I was also invited into the lives of people I call my invisible church. People with too much hurt from or fear of the church to trust it enough to walk through its doors on a Sunday, but people who needed a representative of God to say to them, you are worthy of love, you are beautiful, just as you are right this minute, you deserve love, you are beloved. I think of the deacon who was serving one of the churches of those pastors who summoned me. This deacon had been hiding the truth of his sexuality from his church because he knew if he did, he would not be welcome any longer. He needed the hope of knowing there were churches where he wouldn't have to hide. I think of the mother of the trans child who lived in the neighborhood of the church. She bravely knocked on my office door while she was out for her walk one day. She came in, arms crossed and standing barely in the doorway in case she needed to make a quick exit. And she said, I'm hearing that this church says it loves everybody and that all are welcome here. But my child is trans. And I want to know, is it true? Would you love him? And I replied to her, yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Your child is beloved by God just as he is. He is worthy of love and he would find love here. This mother wept. She fell into my arms as we embraced and wept together. I invited her her to sit for a minute, and she did. I listened to her pain and to her suffering, saying, yes, honey, that sounds hard. And then I asked her to tell me about her beautiful boy. And our tears turned to smiles as we talked about his love for outer space and all things Harry Potter and bugs Friends, this is the work of the Lord to which we've been called. Pouring love into the lives of those suffering under the burden of a world that tells them they aren't worthy of love. Pouring love into their hearts and carrying one another's burdens, listening to one another's pain and suffering, and then speaking truth of their belovedness to them until they can start to claim it for themselves. Pouring love into them as God does each of us. And then throwing a party to celebrate the goodness. For it is good when we suffer together. We find hope and endurance together. The kind of hope that does not disappoint us for we have been filled with love. It's been poured into us, friends until it overflows and we can't help but laugh and dance and party and picnic. Love bubbling up out of us as pure 
joy. May we be so faithful, friends. People's lives depend on it.